It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Can you believe it? 2022 is already here. Happy New Year. I hope I am the first to wish you a happy new year. We are six hours into 2022 and I'm here with you on Green and Growing until 9 o'clock this morning. There's no place I would rather be than starting off my new year by hearing from you. We'll start off with some garden calls and up first we've got Lee calling from Jasper. Hey Lee, good morning. Hi. So what kind of issue do you have with weeds? Well, my issue is I have two long gravel driveways, and I keep getting weeds coming up, and I physically hand pull them, but I can tell that there's runner roots that go under the gravel, and I'm not up here all the time because I have a house in Atlanta, and so I'll come back in the summer, and there'll be, you know, a ton of weeds, and just physically pulling them up, it gets a little laborious. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, and, and there was one area I didn't even do for, like, all last year, and then you can't blow all the, you know, two pounds of leaves off if they catch in all the weeds. So I'm trying to figure out something I could put down that will kill everything. <laughs> right. But, but won't necessarily run off, you know, too far into the, the sides where I do have some flowers and stuff, but... I, I just don't want to have to keep pulling up weeds out of that driveway. So you got a couple of different options, Lee. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously a non-selective herbicide, something like a Roundup, you know, something that you're spraying as you see the weeds. And that works directly on the leaves when it comes in contact with the plant. And then the plant takes it in from the leaves. And that's ultimately what kills it down to the root. That is safe to use as long as it's not a windy day. You're protecting things that are nearby that you don't want any drift or overspray to get onto. But if you're just with that nozzle getting right on top of the weeds you want to treat. Um, and also some people brine gravel pathways, you know, and, and brine is obviously just a salt solution and that's going to burn the weed immediately. But that is a little more risky of some runoff. You know, if that salt gets into the grass nearby or some other plants, that is going to be fatal uh, for other things as well. So being a little more careful with that. Um, I hate to make you do the work of like moving the gravel around and, and you know, shifting things around, but putting a garden fabric down first is always a good idea if you know this is going to be a place that's just always going to be rock or gravel or crush and run or something like that. Uh, garden fabric is really going to carry its weight and last for a number of years to at least keep some of the weeds at bay. Of course, you're still going to have some that pop up. And in thinking in preventative terms like that as well, um, preen. Preen is in a yellow bag. It's a pike nursery. It's a pre-emergent herbicide, so it's going to work to prevent weeds. And they say that it prevents weeds for up to three months, guaranteed. But preen is a good pre-emergent herbicide to get to those weeds before they germinate in rock gardens, in flower beds. It's not effective on lawns, but preen is something that's good for the area that you're talking about, or like I said, garden beds, flower beds, that kind of thing. So that may be something you want to invest in, a couple of bags of preen, Lee, and read the label directions, you know, follow that. You'll have to do it two to three times a year to make sure you're controlling the seasonal weeds that pop up. But there are a couple of options for you, of course. You know, be careful with any herbicide you, you um, apply, but I think something non-selective like a Roundup or something on a non-windy day is going to be the quickest and easiest. Um, our friend Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia, turfgrass expert, saying uh, another herbicide option, you know, people 
cringe sometimes when we talk about Roundup being a non-selective herbicide. It's going to kill everything in its path. But he suggests the herbicide arsenal. One of the primary ingredients in that is amazapir. Amazapir. Clint's going to correct me if that's not right. But that would work on a gravel driveway as well. So the herbicide arsenal, that's just another option for you. So you've got four or five options there, Lee. I'm glad you called. That was a great question. Patricia in Cartersville. Hey, Patricia, welcome to the show. Yes, I have a cut rose that I received, and I put some lot root grow on it. I got to root in a cut. So is it okay to plant it outside now with you know, the cold weather here? Should I put it in a pot and keep it in the house until spring? Yeah, so when did you start propagating it and all that? How long has that been? Uh, about three months ago. Okay, so is it pretty decently tall? Does it have some good leaves on it? Yeah, it's got two different sets of leaves that came out. Oh, nice. Okay, so I don't think it's quite sturdy enough yet to be able to weather the cold, and especially this weekend of all weekends. It's going to be crazy. Um, established right. plants we like putting out this time of year because the roots will you know, be able to kind of acclimate, not be stressed with the summer heat. But something like that, that's going to put some extra stress. So what I would <clears> recommend you do, keep it in a bright window, not direct sunlight necessarily, but a bright window. I know it's going to be kind of a pain to have in the house and be moving it around. I, I would just continue to lightly water it and plant it in the spring. Yeah, I have it in a cup right now just with water. Should I put it in a pot with some dirt or just keep it in that cup with water? Once it gets some roots on it and you see them in the water, then it's ready for the soil. But make sure it's a clean pot when you do go to pot it with some really good fresh soil and plant it somewhat shallowly in the small pot. But Patricia, it'll be just fine. Maybe stake it up with something if necessary. But baby it, it'll just act like a house plant for now until you're ready to plant it in the spring. Thanks for the call. Good for you for experimenting. Up next, Jane in Kennesaw. Good morning, Jane. Welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call. Recently, many of my neighbors and I have had problems with rabbits. Mm -hmm. So this fall when I planted so many beautiful pansies and violas, they are all mowed down. Do you have any really good ideas about this? I I do. Obviously, the first one, and this is probably on a bigger scale, not for residential homeowners like you and I, but, you know, the landscape companies that do the big pansy beds at the fronts of the subdivision, having that hard-to-see metal mesh kind of thing roped over the pansies, and I know that may not be practical for you and I. So some products on the market, you know, and Jane, they people either swear by them and say that they work or people are just bound and determined, like, no, I've tried everything and it doesn't work. So a couple of things for you. Um, Bonide. Bonide has their own line of deer and rabbit repellent, um, and that's good. It's a granular. It's also a liquid. And the good thing about that is it is not toxic, not harmful. It just serves as a repellent to keep them away because of the smell. And oh, good. Yeah. So one application of that could last up to two months so the granular is going to stay in the soil for a while, really put out the emit the smell for up to two months. A lot of the sprays you have to think about, you know, when there's a rain or something like that, you're going to have to reapply. Plant Skid is another one, the, bland, uh, the brand Plant Skid, and it ends in S-K-Y-D-D. Um, that's a good repellent as well. That's made with dried blood. So actually, that's a huge deterrent to deer and rabbit. It is organic as well, and it lasts a long time. Um, it, it can withstand the rain and the snow and that kind of thing. So you've got a couple of options with plant skid, with Bonides repellent, and also liquid fence. That's just another brand. You could find that at Pike Nursery as well. And that's more of a spray, so you would have to be mindful about reapplying that. Okay. Well, with the Bonide granules, um, do you have to put that in the soil, or can you sprinkle it around and put pine bark on it? 
You can. How you, would I? Yeah, you sprinkle it around the base of the plants, you know, and it'll tell you the measurements of how much to use. And it doesn't hurt at all if you put any kind of mulch or anything on top. It's going to be just fine. This is great. Yes. All right. Thank so, you. Yes. I'm really glad you called about that. And unfortunately, I know some folks are probably out there shaking their head being like, ah, I've used all of those and they don't work. But it just depends on your rabbits. It depends on their dietary wants and needs and, you know, how attractive your landscape is to that. But that's some good, safe products that you can certainly try. They're not harmful to the animals. They're safe to be around children and your cats and your dogs. Thanks for the call. Up next on Green and Growing, we've got Scott calling from Atlanta. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. What's going on? Not much. Uh, just well. First thing I want to do is thank you for your show. Uh, thank you know, you. listen to it uh, every weekend on the way to work, and it's helped me a lot with my yard. I oh, tell you, I, I'm so glad. I get a lot of great comments on on when to put out the different things throughout the year to make sure it stays stays nice and green. The biggest thing I had was that I had issues with um, ants, on, and this has happened here and in South Carolina. I fought them with everything I had. I had, you know, granulates, the sprays, and, and they would just move from place to place, all over the place. And I read an article that they can't follow a food trail if they have some kind of uh, citrus juice sprayed out on them. So I went and bought full-strength uh, lemon juice from the store and just mixed it in a five-gallon sprayer and sprayed it around the yard. I did read to make sure it did not damage your grass. It did not. And I have not had ants since. I mean, you see a bit of my neighbor's yard, but there's no ant mounds, no no ant trails, nothing since I've sprayed that out. Wow, that's pretty effective, and that's a cheap and easy thing. You know, there are so many home remedies that folks, you know, recommend for that. Cinnamon, vinegar, lemon juice, and I'm sure the amount of acidity in the lemon juice that you used certainly is not enough to really be harmful to the grass or the flowers around it. But I think what that does, Scott, is kind of throws off their scent trail a little bit. So exactly. it's going to be, exactly. yeah, it's going to be a repellent in that it may keep them away for some time, but I don't think it's going to get rid of them uh, for a long, long time. But thank you for sharing that. See, that's the kind of thing I like is hearing from all of you and what works for you and what you find successful. So Scott, thank you. Have a great weekend. I love that. So yeah, some other options, you know, perhaps some vinegar. That's a good household solution just to have for a number of different things. Cinnamon. Will it get rid of ants? Well, yeah, to a certain extent. They've done a lot of studies that reveal cinnamon has essential oil that can repel and maybe exterminate ants as well. Very interesting. 404-872-0750. When we come back, the top three things to be doing in the landscape this weekend, right now, that's timely and seasonal. John in Atlanta has got a question about a wasp's nest. I certainly want to help him out. It's Ashley Frasca. You're listening to WSB. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thanks for being here this morning, bright and early. Of course, it's green and growing. You found me on your radio dial, 95.5 WSB. What an honor to be on this radio station, turning 100 years old next spring. I can't wait to celebrate with you guys. All right, we have a full show. Certainly a lot to cover on this New Year's Day, and I don't know what your current status is, but it might be a a good weekend to get out there and do a few simple things, and that's why I keep it simple with this list. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. 
I really have fun putting this together every Saturday as well. All right. Number one, it's not too late to plant pansies. A lot of you are still asking about that. And if you planted them months ago, you know, they look really full. They look really great right now. Be sure to just fertilize them once or twice. Some slow-release fertilizer like Osmocote will work just fine. And keep deadheading them, too. Go to the bottom of the stem and pinch off the dead flowers if the deer and the rabbit have already done that for you. Number two, once you get to taking Christmas decorations down, fill in the bare spots with some house plants. Make sure to put them in pots or baskets with drainage holes. That is so important. Nothing blocking those holes and that they're getting the sufficient lighting that they need. When you go into a nursery like Pike, you see they're categorized. They're grouped together by low light, medium light, and high light. And that's going to be kind of indicative of where you need to keep them. Um, You can take a cutting of a friend's house plant too. Christmas cactus, ivy, all kinds of things. See if you can propagate it either in a small vase of water. And if you leave it long enough, the bottom of the cutting, that'll grow its own roots. Or already just stick it right in a small pot with Pike's potting and container soil. I am picking up a bag of that, looking for a good little house plant for my desk at the office. No natural light whatsoever, just fluorescent, so I need a low-light plant. But uh, Mark Aram's producer, Deborah Green, got me the coolest ceramic planter that looks like a stereo, like a boombox. It's a small little black uh, container. I can't wait to find something to put in there. And number three, don't forget about the birds. Put out feeders with thistle seed. That'll attract goldfinches. Uh, Seed with a high sunflower seed content like Pike's Special Mix Bird Seed is going to attract a lot of them, give them the protein that they need. And bluebirds, they love dried mealworms. Keep bird baths full as well, uh, except for glass ones. You know, with the colder weather, when the temperatures get below freezing, if there's water in that, they may actually crack. All right, up next, John calling from Atlanta. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Ashley. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. I got this crazy thing. I'm sure it's been there forever, but with the trees shedding all their leaves, we have a huge wasp nest. The beautiful ones that are gray and stuff like that, are the wasps still in there, or did they build that and gone now? What do I do with this thing? I want to make sure I know the difference of what you're identifying, because I think I made this mistake, and my listeners on, on the Facebook page certainly corrected me. Is it kind of the football-shaped, wooden-looking, big structure? Okay, so that's a hornet's nest. Um, I made the mistake that of too. saying a wasp's <laughs> nest, too. Yeah, and the wasps are more of that honeycomb-looking thing, you know, the smaller thing that they'll yeah, build in no, the corner. this is, okay, hornet's nest. Yeah, so Good a hornet's deal. nest. And it's amazing because they stay so busy throughout the summer. They strip wood off of fences. They strip bark off of trees. And once that is wet and it's put together, that creates this big football-looking thing hanging in your tree. And, yes, I alarmingly found one in my magnolia this summer. What happened to mine, John, and, and what may very well happen to yours, too, with all the rain that we had over the summer, mine just got so saturated that it literally fell out of the tree, smashed onto the driveway, and all of the hornets flew away. Um, but the good news is for now, for you, and unless it's an area where children – and, you know, your pets congregate. If it's not bothering you, I wouldn't bother it because they're not going to overwinter. The queen and the hornets are not going to survive the winter. So they're probably already kind of starting to die off slowly but surely. Um, so I'd leave it. And then if you really do want to go after it and tackle it, you know, the best time to use like a wasp or hornet spray is in the evening when they've all returned to the right. nest. Leave it for a couple of days after it's been sprayed and then just put a big trash bag up around it and, and remove it from the tree and take it down. Okay, that's great. One more problem, and that is that it's way high. Yeah. Way, so in I that guess case, it's going to have to 
naturally fall off. Yeah, so so no news is good news there, John. That's easier for you. Yeah, just let it be. Um, they huh, let it be. No pun intended. Um, they they will not overwinter. They'll certainly start to die away. And when it falls, it'll be empty, like mine was when it finally just got so saturated and fell out of the magnolia tree. Um, it's going to be empty, so you'll be able to just sweep it right up. Thanks so much for the call, John. We'll be back. You're listening to Green and Growing. Good morning on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. I think a couple of shout-outs are in order. Shout-out to Dave Baker, host of the Home Fix-It show, for bringing in a Christmas CD this morning. There could not be a better gift than this lovely CD, Brent, that you're holding. I haven't held a CD in probably 15, 20 years. It's beautiful. (laughs) It really is. I mean, look at that. We should post this. We totally should. And now Shaney B is running around. So if you call, Shane might miss your call just for a moment because Shaney B is running around trying to blow the dust off. First of all, find a CD player and then blow the dust off. Yeah, we're going to have to figure out how to use this, but we'll uh, we'll figure it out. And I think the button with the triangle is the play button, if I recall correctly. <laughs> you know, like, so that's pretty fantastic. Thanks, Dave Baker, for bringing in a CD, because you never know when we might need one with Christmas tunes. And my next shout-out goes to the gentleman on the guest line right now, Joe Lample, joining us from North Georgia. Good morning. Good morning. From the Joe Gardner franchise. He has books. He has podcasts. He has a TV show. What do you not do? You said this is a super crazy busy time of year for you. Sleep. To answer your question, You sleep. don't sleep. Got it. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, just for you, your creativity and just your natural mind for media, one project lends itself to another, to another, and the directions you go, I think often probably surprise you that you never would have known you start with a TV show and now here yeah. you are podcasting and you knew, you know, writing books all along. Like that just shows your passion and your knowledge for gardening, Joe. Hats off to you. I don't know how you do it. Well, right back at you, Ashley. Um, thank you for all those kind words. But, you know, when you love the topic or you love what you do, obviously for me, it's gardening and just getting the word out and having the opportunity in a platform to be able to do that, not just with one platform, but figuring out some people love to consume their knowledge or their information via visually through mm-hmm. television, but other people like to read, other people like to listen, other people like to, you know, take online courses. And so we're just trying to meet people where they are with this, with, you know, basic, I don't want to say the same information, but that information presented in a different format so that it's accessible to them and the best way that they can consume it. By virtue of that, we figured out, and thank goodness I have an amazing team, it's not just me, that allows that to happen. You know, I'm glad you mentioned your team because I've met some of your team and I'm well aware of the work that they do. And one in particular kind of piqued my interest a couple of weeks ago, and I realized I hadn't had you on in forever, so it was it was well mm-hmm. overdue. But you and Amy Prince, I guess she's one of your producers. Would that be her title, or she just does everything? She <laughs> is director of, of marketing and advertising. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> she's, she's got a fancy title, and she wears a lot of hats. Yeah, um, she does a little bit of everything for sure. But I loved that you brought her back on the podcast recently. Yeah. And it was a good topic for her, too, I could tell. Um, Grow bags. And this is something Mm -hmm. that I have not spent a lot of time on. But y'all's conversation, and and that goes to your point, Joe, of when y'all have conversations about things that you're interested in or you're learning about, 
it's catching. It's contagious. Other people hear it. And that's exactly what happened when I was listening to the Joe Gardner podcast. So tell me why grow bags and why is this a hot thing right now? People want, you know, a convenient way to garden. Some people are space constrained and so they don't have room for a big garden or any viable space outside beyond a little plot of something, whether it's a balcony or a patio or a deck or something. And the grow bags are just like what I call them is portable mini raised bed gardens. And so you've got this sturdy fabric that is porous, so it allows the roots to breathe. It prevents overwatering because the water drains out all sides. And they come in different sizes and they last for several years. And you could put them away at the end of the season. There's nothing that you can't grow in a grow bag if you get the right size. And so even me with, you know, a a small farm and a big raised bed garden, I'm still using a lot of grow bags and loving them for their versatility. And the fact that, you know, crop rotation where you're having to, where you just can't keep planting tomatoes in the same bed year after year because the soil borne diseases are going to catch up with you and you need to move those those solanaceous plants out of that growing environment into something else. And a grow bag is a great way to do that. So I've been really taking advantage of that for just one of the many reasons I use them too. And it's so funny, anybody that's seen, you know, all of your media for Joe Gardner, typically your pictures are taken, you know, on your beautiful property here in the Atlanta area. What do you have, like 16 raised beds? I do. Yeah. So that's kind of the environment that I'm familiar in seeing you with. And I was surprised. I was like, he's got this beautiful fenced and raised bed garden. And at first I thought, grow bags? Is that going to look tacky? Is that going to take away (laughs) from like the look of the raised beds? But you make it work for all the reasons you just said. And I mean, even if we're not going for, you know, aesthetically pleasing, I mean, they're in different colors. It's just about how you place them and situate them. I mean, try to convince somebody, Joe, that like, it does. It does have its advantages over lumber and soil in a raised bed. And they're so affordable. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. And, and they're not just a one and done. They do last multiple seasons. You know, these the fabric that they're using is basically like uh, the stuff that you put down as weed barriers. It's the horticultural grade, strong polypropylene. And I think they come in another type of plastic. But it's basically kind of a felty material that doesn't break down quickly. And to your point about the aesthetics, honestly, they do come in all colors. You know, black and brown is pretty common, but if you want red or orange or something to spice up the garden without the flowers, you can do it that way. And so I I have found them to be kind of a nice break in the, I mean, I do love the natural wood look, no denying that, Mm -hmm. but it's fun to pop in some color that you know is going to be there no matter what the season through the grow bags too, if, if that's what you want. So really cost-effective as well, but the the cost is going to then come to us, you know, at the big box store or the nursery when we're going to fill Mm. those. There's still no way around the fact that the larger size or the deeper size that you may need, you know, for something that grows underground, you're going to need all of that soil. So my question to you, Joe, is like in the raised beds that we built, we cheated a little bit and put a couple of bags of like cement that was just no good or concrete that was no good Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Put that at the bottom, put some branches, Mm -hmm. put some limbs, you know, kind of build that up a little bit because the soil doesn't need to go that deep. Um, but mm-hmm. are, are there any cheats in using grow bags? Or are we really, because they're limited size, need soil the whole way through? That's a really good question because I have a couple things to say for that. First of all, my philosophy is I want my plants to be able to grow as far and deep and wide as they want to grow. Mm-hmm. So if I have the opportunity to make it all soil, I want to do that so that they, you know, they have what they need. I want to accommodate them. However, before I forget, 
soil doesn't go bad. It just needs to be refreshed. So it's a one-time investment that can last for years. All you're doing at the end of the season or at the beginning of the next is refreshing it. So maybe you're dumping it into a wheelbarrow or onto a tarp and you're adding some compost and maybe some finely ground bark, maybe a little bit of slow-release fertilizer, and then back in she goes, you know. So you've got that all refreshed and ready. Um, and then as far as the cheats, if you got a really big grow bag and you wanted to fill up some of those that space – as long as you're, you're as long as you're not creating a separate layer, because that can impede drainage, even in a grow bag. Oh, There's science yeah. behind the fact that when you put two substrates against each other, water doesn't flow from one to the next easily. So, like with your case, with your bags of cement, that's fine because that's a, an obstacle. It's not a layer in the um, in the grow bag. It's just an obstacle, and the water will go around it. Or like sticks, as you mentioned, if you mix them into the overall material that's better well sticks are fine but like don't put a, a layer of stone or sand to fill up half the grow bag thinking that's going to save you money that's really going to just impede the drainage isn't that funny because <clears throat> last weekend on the show i had in studio with me um, a book published in 1963 about house plants and their mm. theories and their methods of things have changed in what mm -hmm. what are we 60 years later now but the trend that a lot of gardeners have i don't mean to get off on a tangent about house plants but yeah. that it is mm -hmm. okay to put pebbles or it is okay to put rock at the base of a pot and then you know layer everything in the soil above that but really no i mean yeah you're saying uh, it like that's been actually found to not be a good idea correct and they've done a lot of studies since and so there's science backing the reason not to do that but i you know i consumed that same information i was putting stones in the bottom of all of my yeah. pots for years you know and we learn as we go and that's the thing about gardening no matter how much you know there's always more to learn and we're always learning more through microscopes and science and microbiology things that we couldn't access before in the soil and understand well finally we're, we're coming around to that so it's an exciting time to be in gardening because we are learning so much more about, you know, cleanup and cutback and overwintering and leaving the leaves versus, you know, collecting them and shredding them yes. in the fall. There's a million things going on right now that's amazing. There's so many of us now and we're taking up so much space on the earth. And I mean, that's fine. There's so many billions and billions of people, but you do have to be mindful. And I think the burden is on us as a generation now more so than has ever been on any other generation to be mindful of living with the environment. And I don't mean to go mm -hmm. off on this kind of tangent, but the more educated I've become, I feel like I have a justification in feeling that way about, you know, let's not just tear everything down and beautify everything yeah. for the sake of, you know, it being trendy and wanting to look like everybody else. Like you sometimes have to be the trailblazer and the trendsetter in growing a pollinator garden or just a native garden and say, you know what, to heck with my HOA, I'm not going to do a lawn. It's too many chemicals. It's too much money. It's too much mm -hmm. water requirements. Overall, not really good for the uh, ecosystem nearby, you know? Yes. And, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people and some just want to garden. You know, they want to plant their vegetables and their annuals and they want to enjoy their time outside and get away from the noise. And I get that. And I got an email this week about that. And, um, you know, because the guy was, you know, complimenting for me for the podcast. But he said, you're getting a little political because oh. I in my podcast, I was talking about sequestering carbon, thinking mm -hmm. about as gardeners, what we can do longer term as environmental stewards, not just like you said, pouring on the chemicals to make our plants grow and bloom. Mm -hmm. we it, It's not mutually exclusive. We can do both. We can enjoy our time in the garden, but at the same time, be mindful of the 
unintended consequences of what we do, you know, and I think, I think as gardeners, we have that responsibility or we should, we should be thinking more long-term because we can have it both ways. You know, we can't have our cake and eat it too. And it's just a matter of helping people understand that and how to do it. And so I emailed him back and he emailed me back and we had a very nice exchange because of that. Because, you know, a light bulb went off in his head after that. I needed a chance to kind of clarify Oh, sometimes those exchanges don't go as pleasant, but I know the way you handled it was was probably perfect coming at it from being on the defense. But too, what's fascinating about what you get to do, yes, you're a gardener here in the Atlanta area, but your following is nationwide, even international on the Joe Mm -hmm. Gardner, you know, Facebook group. I mean, there's we learn so much from each other, but I don't think generations before us have ever had that opportunity right. to be one-on-one, interact instantly with a gardener in Oregon and what a gardener in England right. is doing. And I mean, it's so instantaneous and it's really inspirational for us as a community to be outside of our box. You know, now it's not just our local garden club or our neighbors mm-hmm. or our friends. You're talking to people from all over the world. Yes. And, you know, that is true. I mean, when we were growing up, it was books and books Mm -hmm. are great and I love them. And I'm staring at about a hundred right now on my (laughs) desk that are on my reading list. And I love, love, love to read and I love books. But to this opportunity that we have to connect instantaneously with another gardener around the world that is a high profile person potentially and learn from them and access them. Um, We are this. I don't know if I. I sound excited probably because I am because we're 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 in a position to learn more than we ever have faster than we ever have and do more good than we've ever been able to do in the past because of what we're learning as we go. And, you know, I will compliment you on that. And coming up after the break, I want to brag on how you can get in on some of these conversations Joe has with world-renowned gardeners. And also, you mentioned compost, and I can't let you get away without, of course, a natural question from me about composting. Joe Lample with us, Joe Gardner. Stay tuned. It's Green and Growing on WSB. So glad to have garden guru, podcast host, uh, television show host, and author Joe Lample with me. JoeGardner.com. My goodness, if you've never been to or heard of JoeGardner.com, you're missing out, but consider your life changed (laughs) starting today. Um, And then, you know, Joe, I just mentioned your your Facebook group, and folks have to, you know, Mm. get permission to get in, but the Joe Gardner group where we... Stay on task. You keep folks focused. Only you want, you know, people in there talking about gardening. <laughs> yeah, and we're, you know, we're very liberal. We just say, hey, let us know that you heard about it on the podcast or on the radio show. You know, we're we're just trying to make sure you're human and that you're going to be nice. Hey, and there's, see, you know, that's yeah. it. That's if that's were the two qualifications for living life. I think you know we we could weed out some bad seeds. But so in talking about grow bags and in the last segment together, I've got about a yeah. minute and a half here with you to go back to something you said. You know the idea of maybe dumping out some of that soil, some of it's lost its nutrients. So mm-hmm. introducing compost or some you know natural stuff back into that soil. Yeah. Um, we got some folks hooked on composting over the summer. They're proudly Good. carrying their kitchen scraps and stuff down to the compost bin um, and. Now, here we are, wintertime, we're not doing much else. What do I do with that stuff that has composted by now? Well, just leave, I mean, leave it in place. I mean, you could cover it up if you want to try to avoid a little bit of leaching, if you've got finished compost. But there is still, there are still microbes that will break down material over winter. Less, they, they respond based on the temperature. And so there still are some in there that are going to be active, less active, but active during the wintertime. So there's still stuff happening there. So if you wanted to maybe just 
you know, if you feel better, just cover it up with a little bit of a layer of cardboard or something just to um, – I mean, it really doesn't do that much of good. I, I don't cover mine, but you could if you wanted to. It's still happening, and we're fortunate that because we live in this area for the most part, um, we're not really losing that much ground. And you'll be you'll know you'll be able to tell that when you go out and you turn it. Yeah. Even on a cold day, and all that heat and that steam is coming out. That's very gratifying, and it's proof, visual proof, right there that your compost is still cooking. Now, real quick, can I go ahead and start putting some that's ready into my raised beds and let it? Oh yeah. You know, doing it now. And let, giving it time to get to know each other before I do my spring vegetable garden, summer vegetable garden. Yeah, I love that you said it that way. It's uh, you're inoculating the soil with your compost, and they might as well start to learn to play nicely together. Not that that's <laughs> hard, but the sooner they get in there and cohabitate, and the microbes take off, you know, because they're multiplying by the gazillions. Yeah. Uh, you want to do that because if that's the intended source anyway, where you're going to put it. Don't waste any time. If it's finished, it's finished and it's ready to do its job. Get uh, it in there. I think I'm adding that to the to-do list today. We'll be right back. Joe Lample going to stick with us here on Green and Growing on WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.